1: Hello and welcome to Law Pod. I'm Rachel Colleen. This episode is recorded in conjunction with the Northern Ireland debut of A Cambodian Spring. A Cambodian Spring is a documentary which follows the lives of three activists caught up in the chaotic and often violent development that is shaping modern day Cambodia. These activists include the Venerable Lone Savath, a monk turned human rights defender, Shre Pov, a Cambodian human rights activist, and Tep Vani, the appointed leader of one of Cambodia's most high profile forced evictions. Shot over six years, the film charts the growing wave of land rights protests that led to the Cambodian Spring and the tragic events that followed. In this episode, we are joined by Chris Kelly, the director of the documentary, and the Venerable Lon Savath, one of the individuals at the centre of that film. If you haven't seen it already, I would encourage you to watch Cambodian Spring and learn more about the challenges that are facing Cambodia as it develops. In the meantime, I hope you enjoy this conversation. So maybe to start, uh, could you just, you know, introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about yourselves?
2: Yeah. Hi, my name is Chris Kelly. I'm a documentary filmmaker originally from Derry. Um, I spent six years living in Cambodia, making A Cambodian Spring, during which time I also worked as a freelance uh, journalist filmmaker for The Guardian and Al Jazeera and a few other publications. Um, yeah, I'm currently based in London.
0: Yeah, my name is Venerable Loon Sokwat. I come from Cambodia. I'm a human rights defender activist and I come to visit Ireland and UK for a screening film festival, a Cambodian spring documentary.
1: Thank you. Well, we'll talk a little bit about the documentary itself in a minute, but I wondered if, just to start off, if you could tell our listeners a little bit about the political situation within Cambodia and its political system to give them a sense of of context.
0: Yeah, the situation politics in Cambodia right now is very bad politics because of the ruling party. Uh, the government, they killed the democracy in Cambodia and delete opposition uh, party from Cambodia. And also the president of the opposition party were arrested uh, in the prison over six months ago. And the court, they accused opposition is the... Uh, betray of the nation because of uh, make friendly with the United States and also right now political conflict in Cambodia is so bad. And there's an election coming up, is that
1: right?
0: Yeah, the election is coming in 29 July 2008 but how we are how we go to vote because of the opposition party no in Cambodia. Mm-hmm. But many, many uh, political party new, create or old, create in Cambodia, but those uh, political parties just fake opposition. And also is the membership of the uh, ruling party of the government. And only one opposition party is CNOP party that the Khmer people vote for change uh, from CPP to CNOP in 2013 and 2017. So we change almost 100% but after the more uh, popular, the more Khmer people uh, go to vote uh, for change. So the ruling party they worry about power. They will lose the election 2008. So they delete opposition party before competition for uh, July 29. Right now. Uh, uh, democracy were killed by the government. Yeah.
1: And and how long has that government been in power? Uh,
0: the government they leading the uh, power in Cambodia after Khmer Rouge regime finish uh, start from seventy nine uh, until ninety uh, three, but uh, those during uh, uh, that time is uh, communist communist uh, 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 politics uh, controlled by the Vietnam Army invasion to Cambodia. But the Cambodia, we start to change from the communist to democracy from 93 uh, uh, to hell and to sell by the United Nations and any country were uh, signed by Paris Peace Agreement in 23rd, uh, 91 October. So this is the first time that democracy uh, coming to Cambodia, but after over 20 years ago, democracy in Cambodia still fake, still fake, still fake, but the Khmer people still understand and still go to vote, but right now, one democracy. The Khmer people understanding and very hungry to see it for real, the government, they delete democracy from Cambodia. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So you've got a general political backdrop of uh, erosion of democracy. Uh, Could you maybe tell us as well a little bit about the rule of law situation within Cambodia?
2: Yeah, I mean the courts are, they're not really free or fair or transparent. The, the The government is run like a kleptocracy where the organs of state are used to further the interests of private businesses and often, who are often ruling party senators as well. The courts are used to silence opposition and they're used to silence people like the Venerable Savat and they're used as a form of intimidation uh, to threaten people. often. Uh, activists are jailed for long periods of time on politically motivated charges. So the court is not really something that can be relied upon as being independent and free or transparent.
1: And does law play any role in the way human rights activists like yourself try and bring about change? Or does that reality preclude that type of activism?
2: There, I mean, there are human rights lawyers in Cambodia who work for local organizations like Likado and Ad Hoc, and they provide free legal care, um, legal advice, and legal representation for activists who um, who are being charged. But as a form of activism in itself, no, I, you don't come across it. It's just not possible because there's no rules to the game that you can play by. If you know what I mean, it's in, it's it's like a Orwellian kind of society where you you don't know what you're dealing with, essentially, and it can change.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, I mean, that gives us a kind of general sense of where Cambodia is in terms of its politics. Would you maybe tell us a little bit about the specific events that prompted, I mean, the Cambodian Spring itself, but, you know, also your, your documentary?
2: Yeah, I mean, I was in Cambodia as a tourist in 2006, um, and became fascinated by the country. I was very aware of the history of the Khmer Rouge, as many people are, and that's probably how most people are aware of the country. Um, and as a filmmaker, I'd seen a lot of work based, done on the past and done on the history in the Khmer Rouge and the effects that that had had on society, but I, there wasn't anything really looking at modern issues that were, were happening in Cambodia. And I came up with the idea to make a film about forced evictions and land rights went back to the country in 2009 to start filming, and that's when I met the venerable and the other people in the film. Um, The political situation then was quite oppressive. Like, people were... uh, I don't, I don't know if it's fair to say that people were afraid to speak out against the ruling party but they certainly never did publicly because um, they knew that if they did do that they would be accused of being in uh, alignment with the opposition and accused of being a traitor and unpatriotic and that could, that could lead to lengthy prison sentences and various other things but over the six years of filming um, you could see a massive change in people's attitudes to the ruling party and the Cambodian spring that happened in 2013 came directly from the land rights protesters and it was those people like the Venerable and the, uh, the women from Bangkok Lake who really paved the way for those political protests to take place. They're extremely famous individuals in Cambodia and they're very well known and it was their activism that really allowed those uh, huge protests of hundreds of thousands of people out on the streets.
1: And the Venerable Savath, could you tell us a little bit about that activism that you've engaged in?
0: Yeah, my activity for human rights defender and also land rights defender and natural rights defender. So in Cambodia, as you know, is the Buddhism country over 95 percent is buddhism so the buddha philosophy uh, teaching to lay people to respect the human right animal right and also the natural right so like this i'm in the name of the monk and also, the Khmer nation, I following the Buddhism rule and national, uh, national law and the national law. So I'm teaching the uh, lay people about Buddhism relating to human rights and uh, democracy. But also, when, we, when I am doing like this, uh very difficultly in Cambodia to advocacy because of the politics in Cambodia were limited by the freedom of expression and uh, also the uh, the activists of the Hmong um, uh, controlled by politics by the government uh, Hmong Minister or Mm's King. So all those very difficulty like this, but I'm um, stand up to protest, to advocacy, to join solidarity with the community uh, until now. So we uh, sometimes is uh, unsuccessful, sometimes successful. Uh, this is uh, a step by step. Uh, so uh, the Cambodia. People they uh, understand about the uh, <clears throat> activity of the monk, and also right now uh, to get uh, successful for change, for Cheng. But as we change the government, they cheat, <laughs> they cheat, and they crack down again and again until now they use the power of the court uh, to delete. To accusation, uh, the activity of the Hmong, uh, foreigner foreign journalists, NGO, freedom media, or opposition party, or any democ- democracy country like United States, uh, EU, or United States, they accuse uh, revolution group. A revolution group, they need to destroy a revolution group from Cambodia. And also including my activity also they regard that this is revolution uh, group that uh, work to destroy Cambodia. So very crazy uh, politics that the government they regard uh, the ac- activity of the uh, uh, Buddhist monk, like the revolution. Uh, uh, if they regard my activities, uh, revolution, revolution leader like this, why Cambodia uh, respect to the uh, democ- democracy, that mean democracy law? Because uh, uh, according to the uh, constitution law, Cambodia is democracy. And when we speak democracy, they accuse revolution. And the, uh, the Buddhism, uh, Buddhism, human right, and democracy are the same. So why they accuse the activity of the Buddhism is a revolution? Uh, because they are afraid lose the power of the uh, uh, ruling party that they control Cambodia. Long years ago, not change. And the leader in Cambodia over 30 years ago, not change also. So maybe they need uh, power until they first die. <laughs> yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah, so when you try and hold them accountable to the standards that they have in writing, they then see you as revolutionary.
0: Yeah, and the world will change. But why Cambodia not change? According to the Buddha teaching, everything is not uh, is not regularity. That's mean change uh, everything. For example, our life before is young, is uh, children and uh, young, but now old. And uh, from day to day, from month to month, and from year to year, everything in the world will change. So the revolution. The same revolution and change the same. So the modern technology before I'm used the old old phone, not smartphone. <laughs> follow me uh, from old phone until smartphone <laughs> to make a document. <laughs> yeah, to make a documentary a Cambodian spring. So my activity start from old phone to uh, uh, modern phone. This is revolution. This is change and uh, the government they regard that uh, revolution is the enemy of the government in Cambodia yeah. so very crazy yeah. but according to the, the grammar of Khmer language uh, the monk's king the supreme patriarch of Cambodia that he passed away long years ago he wrote that uh, revolution is uh, progress progress to change develop to change that mean a change from bad to good develop from uh, from poor to to rich and this is the modern and modern is revolution but why the government they start the revolution is the enemy mm. <laughs> the enemy and right now uh, a cambodian spring land grabbing, political conflict, and any, many problems in a Cambodian Spring documentary uh, made by Chris Kelly. Uh, the title is uh, Cambodian Spring. So maybe the government, they accuse oh, this is the group of revolution also. So, um, yeah, because of uh, politics, bad politics in Cambodia. And
1: you mentioned land rights and, and eviction there. What, what, what was going on there Chris and why did you decide to focus on that particular issue in your documentary
2: that, I mean I did some research just on what was happening in Cambodia and um, was looking originally at an idea of making a film about the border region or in Poipet because there was a lot of different things going on there like the transient workforces and um, the construction industry, uh, the land rights stuff was something was an element of that story. But when I looked deeper into it, it became apparent that it was something really pervasive across the country. You know, individuals like Lao Min King, um, a ruling party senator, close ally of Hun Sen, who was responsible for the Bangkok and Body Kill evictions, personally owned 7.5% of the country's land mass and economic land concessions. It affects some 800,000 individuals across the country. Um, It's a huge huge issue and not only in Cambodia but in lots of places around the developing and developed world so it was something that I think I thought could resonate with audiences all over um, the world and it it was just it seemed like the most pressing issue that was facing people in Cambodia and it, it could still be related back to an audience in the west. And that was really kind of the motivation for looking at it as a subject matter. But in the end, the film is much more about the individuals rather than the subject, you know, the topic. The context is there in the background, but it's much more about their struggles and their kind of human, you know, emotions. The human story. Because,
1: yeah, we we noticed in the um, descriptions of the film and some of the writing you've done around it, that you described it as a film about activists rather than a activist film mm. is that what you mean by that is that the distinction yeah, you're trying to make It's
2: it's an exploration of what it means to be an activist and the the kind of the difficulties that they face and the sort of the human cost of being an activist and how how those you know private personal parts of those people's lives are often not displayed in documentaries and it becomes um, I think dangerously over simplistic and people often in storytelling and just in general in the west we look for these either or dichotomies this kind of black and white good and bad um, tensions that don't really they do exist a little but it's not always that easy or that simple in real life I think life's much more complex and ambiguous and there's good and bad in everybody and there's multiple reasons for things to happen and these simple narratives don't really exist and they're not really that useful in trying to understand things and that was really a a key kind of theme in the film that we were trying to explore and get across.
1: Yeah so is that focus on the human lived experience of the three activists, Mm. is that a way of showing that complexity because it's like well here's three examples, witness the different Factors that are influencing their actions and relations to the to what's going on. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Yeah yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. I suppose when you when you made it, you wouldn't really have known that the Cambodian spring was going to erupt. Uh, can you, can you maybe tell us a little bit about that and actually from both of you how that began to unfold and, and what the outcome of that was?
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, when I went there the, there was nobody really helping the venerable or his villagers. He was on his own. Um, there weren't even really any local NGOs involved in that case at the time. It was I came stumbled across him at a press conference and because he was filming um, I thought it would be interesting to follow another filmmaker. And I hadn't, We had no idea where his story you know trajectory was going to go that he would end up winning the martin ennals award for um human rights work and you know traveling all over the world as a human rights defender so yeah i just i didn't know how those things would transpire, but it just it it so happened that the land rights protesters gathered so much momentum behind them and so became such a force within the country that when the elections came along and the opposition party were allowed to return and 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 run in the elections, the the momentum behind all of that came directly from the land rights protesters and the, and also the advent of social media and being able to circumnavigate the um, the censorship of the state-run media and these, these other things. So again, you know, not one individual thing caused it, but there were a multitude of things of which the Venerable and the, the other protesters in Bangkok were intricately involved in. Mm-hmm. So it was just a very natural thing to continue the story past the land rights protests into the political protests.
1: Yeah. And the Venerable Savath, could you tell us a bit about your role then and how it developed from being a human rights activist within your community to having a role in this larger political protest.
0: Um, yeah, we still keep going on for, uh, to advocacy for land rights of human rights in Cambodia. Uh, uh, all those uh, difficulties to protest right now, no. The government they start to crack down all the activists of the land right or, or human right defender activists, including political. Uh, so, uh, uh, very difficult.
1: Yeah. Is that how the Cambodian spring ended? Essentially, there was a crackdown and. People yeah, weren't able to to protest any longer.
2: Yeah, it's yes. Um, that basically the the opposition party took a deal and took their seats in parliament and turned their back a little, I guess, on the protesters. Um, and the venerable still continues to do his activism, but for the most part, the the community at Bangkok is fairly fractured, remains quite fractured, and there's a lot of infighting. There isn't much consistency in how they're dealing with the authorities or dealing with the. Uh, the developers, because of course the you know they received a land concession from the government, uh, but it's never been clearly demarcated, and it's not clear who's inside the concession and who's outside the concession, and it's absolutely not clear how it's going to be developed, where whether they'll have to be re- relocated or not while it is developed, what the development will be, and whether they'll be able to move back onto the land, you know, if they do agree to leave it, after the development is completed. So it's very precarious still.
1: And I wonder what it is that maybe you hope to achieve then with the documentary. I, I know you've said it's a film by activists, it's not an activist film, but I would assume that you can see its potential and I've seen that in the way that you've thought about distribution and ensuring that it reaches these diverse, you know, education and civil society and different audiences. Like, what what's your motivation there? What are you trying to achieve?
2: Well, I mean, obviously... Um uh i i want the film to be seen by lots of different audiences i guess you know i'd like general the general public to see it and to learn a little bit about cambodia but also the film is made very intentionally to be about humans and kind of explore these sort of universal human truths and universal ideas about what it means just to, to fight for something that you believe in and what that the cost for doing that might be. It explores themes about the corrupting nature of power and the uneasy relationship between church and state, things that kind of resonate in societies all over the world. And so we wanted to make it as relevant as possible to as many people as possible in some sense. I would love for as many Cambodian people to see it as possible. It's not meant to be the definitive history of what happened during that period. It's my personal and subjective take on it. But at least allow people, Cambodian people, to see it and and to have a perspective. Be offered that perspective and to be able to kind of engage in a conversation about what happened and what could happen in the future. And for sure, I think it's a useful tool as an advocacy tool or, um, to show to policy people and to show to the EU or the UN or other. People in, who have a vested interest in Cambodia and what happens in Cambodia in the future. yeah.
1: Have you been able to show it in Cambodia?
2: No, no, absolutely not. Um, <laughs> we have plans, I, I can't speak about them publicly, That's fair. for how, we'll, how we will show them, in how we will try to show it in Cambodia in the future, but not presently, no. Not presently, uh, yeah.
0: yeah. It's yeah.
1: Been.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but we will figure out a way of doing it safely. It, the issue is, of course, for people, Cambodian people if they're caught with the film, could get into trouble. So,
1: Yeah, so it's about ensuring the safety of your audience yeah, uh, while yeah. empowering them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And uh, the Venerable, what what would you hope that people who see the documentary take away from it?
0: <laughs> um, yeah, um, Cambodia, not only a Cambodian spring that the Khmer people want to see, but we need to see a real new real uh, information in Cambodia like TV, radio or newspaper but no it's not easy uh, to, to to saw, to play or to see uh, real news because of the uh, the media TV or radio or newspaper everything uh, controlled by the government so they just cheat the information uh, from the media, but all those uh, like this, we can see what happened real, real happened in Cambodia, uh, to use uh, social media like Facebook, YouTube, or Internet, so we can see, and we can see, and also we can change from this, from like this. From social media, for for example, uh, in two thousand thirteen, this is the the revolution of the Facebook, uh, uh, very popular in Cambodia, especially for uh, for young generation for youth. They they uh, they use smartphone social media, yeah, to film, to see. Uh, common line and also to stand up from 2013 and change from uh, 2013 until 2017 so the more popular so uh, right now the government they know they know about this and they want to create a new law against the people to use Facebook yeah so Everything, the law and Cambodia create, create uh, the law just the limit, just the limit the right of the Khmer people, and just the control of the political power, not the law for freedom, the law for people, the law for nation. No, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, my my follow-up question was
1: going to be about you know, how are you feeling about the future in Cambodia? But I think you've spoken quite eloquently to that, that there is a continuing, continuingly autocratic crackdown on, on dissenting voices. And I really uh, admire you for making this documentary and hope that it does actually, you know, kind of invigorate people and make them aware of some of the issues going on there. Um, other than watching the documentary, which obviously people should do, where would you direct people who want to learn more about politics in Cambodia?
2: Yeah, and one of the subjects in the film, Tep is actually in prison at the moment. Um, so Amnesty International have a global campaign that they're running um, where people can sign a petition to call for her release. I would definitely encourage people whenever possible to to sign that. And if people want to find out more it depends on how interested they are, of course you can look on the websites for major international NGOs like Human Rights Watch and Amnesty and Global Witness, they're always publishing very very well researched and well written reports on different aspects, Transparency International as well, um, Global Witness just recently released a very interesting report as well on hun Sen's family businesses. Um, they can look at those things, they can go even further in depth and look at the, the work of the local NGOs who are working on the ground, people like Licado and Ad hoc and CLEC. Um, people can go to the country and find out as well. Obviously, it's still an open country um, and you can travel there quite easily as a tourist if, if people are really interested. And, of course, watch the film and you know, learn a little bit from that, I guess. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, thank you so much for your time. No, thank, thank you, you. It's a
2: pleasure. Yeah, thank you.
1: You have been listening to LawPod, an informed take on current events brought to you by the law students and staff at Queen's University, Belfast. This episode was produced by Richard Somerville and Rachel Colleen. Our theme music is by Colonel Chocolate and the Justice Triangle, and LawPod is funded by Queen's Law School and the Queen's Annual Fund. Thanks to Chris Kelly and the Venerable Savath for joining us for this episode. You can follow us on social media. We're on Twitter at QUB LawPod. You can also visit our website, www.lawpod.org. And you can look in our show notes for more information about the topics covered today. You can find us on iTunes and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Rachel Green and this was Law Fudge.